Hello and welcome back to the Bird's Eye View podcast. We are here on Tuesday, February 27th. It is Alec Manoa Bump Day. I'm your host, Zach Warden, joined by Jory Nagin Schechter, and we are very excited to be joined by Shoa Lee, producer and host at Sportsnet 590. You can find him over the airways at the network, uh, hosting the Blue Jays pregame show, Jays Talk, among a bunch of other shows. So thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, we're super excited to get into some Jays Talk with you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Well, uh, I guess just before we we get started, we can get into a little bit of your thoughts on the offseason. Um, uh, obviously, with spring training games having started, but what 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 were your original takeaways kind of coming into to these three games as far as what the Blue Jays did over the winter? It's it's hard kind of not to be a little disappointed when you when you start an offseason by thinking you might get maybe the best player to ever play baseball in Shohei Otani and then you kind of work your way down from that. So like even if the Blue Jays had ended up with I mean maybe Juan Soto maybe no but if if he if they ended up with literally anyone else that had been available I kind of feel like most fans would have been a little disappointed like again maybe if it was Yamamoto or yeah Soto maybe people would have been okay with it but it's hard not to feel disappointed based on where you started and then you know when the sexiest signings of the offseason were re-signing Kevin Kiermaier uh signing Isaiah Kiner Falefa and then Justin Turner. Like I, I do understand the needs they fulfilled, but based on how the season ended last year and then how the offseason started, it's kind of not it's not hard to see why fans might think, oh, okay, well, the issues that were such glaring ones last year weren't really addressed in meaningful ways. Even though I actually do think Justin Turner hitting fourth, let's say, behind Springer, Bo, Vladdy, probably going to end up being something you like over the course of a season. Uh, and, and IKF being a super utility guy, is that a sexy signing? No, but it probably will help. I think there was a point last year where he was a better hitter than either Espinal or Chapman, and so he probably will help. But gosh, it's hard It's hard not to feel like you're, the needs were addressed because of where you started and where you finished, right? Yeah. There was the uh, a piece in the Athletics today too, where they kind of went back and were were asking some of the Jays about what they were doing on the the Otani plane day or whatever. And right. they're all, well, they were there. A bunch of them were at Manoa's wedding, and of course, you know, there's just just digging at old wounds wounds there. So, no, just uh, you know, obviously they're they're going right after it still. So, but yeah, I to- I totally agree. I think Turner Turner's a nice add, and we'll we'll kind of see. Obviously, he got off to a nice start too, picking up. A hit a walk you know we see we see him come back to the dugout and vladdy's calling him what a hitter every time i guess uh hazel may tweeted that out um but as far as the first three games going kind of the beginning to spring here um what what have been kind of some of your takeaways from from the three games so far i think for me because spring is is a time where you know it's 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 really it's really uh easy to overreact in both senses like it's really easy to overreact and say this guy time to place a couple bets for al mvp and then it's also really easy to say this guy should be DFA'd today. So it's it, that's kind of where I try to not overreact, but at the same time, you do want to see certain things out of certain players, even this early in spring. The pitching side of things, I tend to almost completely throw out until we're much closer to the beginning of the regular season, if only because you know how it is with pitching these days, guys. Like the guys go into specific ABs knowing as much as they possibly can about the opposing batter. And then you're doing this in the spring where you don't know that much about other guys. And 
not a lot of regulars for most teams play. And then on top of that, they're trying to establish routines with their arms and so on. So pitchers are obviously already way behind the hitters. So if a pitcher is even kind of good, if he, even if a pitcher is even using one of his pitches to some kind of degree of effectiveness, I'm usually like, all right, you know what? I'll, <laughs> I'll take that. Kikuchi got two strikeouts. Okay, that's great. I'm totally fine with that. Chris Bassett threw a 66 mile an hour curveball. That's great. He looks he looks like he's in, in midseason form. It's fine. But so I think for that reason, I don't I don't uh, overreact too much with the pitchers for the hitters. I just want to see them don't get don't get themselves into big holes or don't take giant hacks at pitches you probably wouldn't take hacks at in the regular season. You don't want to see that too much in spring. Uh, so, like you know, when Juan Soto goes up and flobbers a three-run bomb off the scoreboard when the Blue Jays hit to play the Yankees, I'm not, I'm not going to say he's not going to be a good player, but it's like people are like, oh, my gosh, Juan Soto is going to rule the AL East. He's obviously going to be very good, but that those are the kinds of things that I, I try not to overreact to. Similarly, on the other side, like Alejandro Kirk hits a home run. That, that's really cool because he did not start on time last year. So there, you kind of have to take everything with a grain of salt, but you still want to see some exciting things happen. Well, let's look at some of those, I guess, exciting things, because obviously extremely early on, but a couple of key regulars that have had decent starts to spring. Bo, of course, has looked pretty good. You've got Dalton Varsho pulling the ball and putting a couple of hard hit balls into play. Are there any guys in particular that you are particularly intrigued by heading into this season overall? Well, certainly Bo. You know, it's funny with Bo. I I I saw him play and I thought to myself, great. Bo is exactly what you want. He's exactly where where you want him to be. He he had spoken to the media. I want to say you know middle of last week or something, and he had said something along the lines of, "You know, he wants to be the player he was in 2023 all the time this year, or as much of the time as possible." And then he also outlined that he had added, I think it was swimming, uh, boy, Pilates and Muay Thai. And I thought that was really interesting because you don't see too many play- baseball players do things like that beyond just saying, "Oh yeah, I lifted a lot of weights in the off season, or I, I ran a lot in the off season." So. That bow was someone who, I mean, last year he played pretty well defensively for a guy who was kind of maligned defensively to a certain extent coming into last year. I thought he played decently well enough. And then on top of that, obviously his offensive play was great outside of the, like the two-week period he got injured. So that, I guess the reason I was focusing on the, the things he said about his offseason regimen is clearly focused on flexibility, clearly focused on staying healthy and keeping himself in the best possible shape. And for a team where you kind of question sometimes who the leaders are on this team especially with a a not a ton of older veterans and justin turner somewhat fills that void but prior to turner being signed you kind of wondered who those guys were and it certainly feels like the leader of this team is unquestionably bo bichette so that was kind of cool to see and i think from a prospect standpoint joria i think i'm really excited about what orelvis martinez has to offer and now this is a guy he's a top prospect so obviously you, you have expectations for your top prospects, but it was never really the power with the Ralvis that I was worried about. It was just, could he, could he not strike out slash have a, a better eye at the plate? And what would his defensive play be when he's actually standing on the infield somewhere? And we've seen him play a little bit of third, a little bit of second. And uh, obviously he's had a couple of plate appearances so far. I think he's looked pretty good. Is he going to break camp with the Jays? Probably not, but do we see him play for the Blue Jays at the major league level this year? If they don't re-sign Matt Chapman, then maybe we do. Well, I mean, you bring up Matt Chapman, and funny enough, with the uh, Bellinger signing, now there's all these whispers that 
maybe Chapman does return. So that's something I think certainly that's that's going to be be in the calculus. But I want to kind of go back there to to what you mentioned about Bobochet being a leader, and then of course they bring in Justin Turner. You'd figure his veteran presence is going to be significant. Do you read anything into into Bo talking about wanting to to be the guy on this team, and just generally? Do you feel that this team is going to have a, a group of leaders? Do you read anything into that? I do. I guess I read it into it in the sense that Bo always talks about his being doubted, for example. That was also something he said towards the beginning of spring training. But Bo also is one of those guys who he, he almost seems to take slights against the team as a slight against him personally. Like you always hear these stories about athletes being like competitive maniacs. Like we always know these things about like Michael Jordan and Tom Brady and all these other athletes. And even, even athletes who are not at that their level, like guys like, you know, in the NBA, I don't know how much you guys watch basketball, but like, I remember I was watching an interview with uh, during the all-star break with Tyrese Maxey of the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. And he was talking about he was named to be an all-star and he was talking about how no one believed in him and and he, you know he was he's been doubted his whole life and it's like these athletes all say this to a person essentially and just how they kind of motivate themselves it's i almost kind of enjoy it from Bo's perspective because at times i felt since he's been called up not and this is not only on him but that the whole team has been sometimes somewhat passive and you guys have seen the conversations it's like oh they they have too much fun they don't take it seriously enough well for that crowd what Bo is saying is going to hit like crack right people are going to people are going to love it because this is like this is exactly what people wanted so i i do like it because it shows he's taking it seriously i've been told a couple times over the last couple of years that one of the players in 2021 that had a huge impact on Bo was Marcus Simeon. And Marcus Simeon has always struck me the same way, right? Like even before, like when he was, before he was with uh, the Blue Jays and since he's left and been with the Rangers and kudos to him for winning the World Series because he was obviously an integral part of that team. But I remember there was a shot in 2021 of like Bo kind of sitting, standing in front of Simeon in the dugout and Springer coming back after a great hit, and he was kind of doing a lot of silly things, and Vladdy was pouring sunflower seeds on him, and everyone's partying, and then Simeon's sitting in the back like like a robot that hadn't been turned on, essentially, right? So I, I, I get the sense that that has rubbed off a lot on Bo, which is really cool to see. So I, I, I do read into it in the sense that I do think Bo, even at a relatively young age, is ready to be like the, the leader of this team, which is uh, which is something that's needed beyond guys like Justin Turner who are kind of coming in from the outside. I, I think it's interesting kind of with the team last year coming in where there was so much um, so much emphasis put on attention to detail, uh, you know, the, the little things, base running, defensive play all over the field. And then this year, it, it kind of hasn't felt that way. I think like Bo's quotes are kind of the only sound bites that have come out of spring training that have really been eye-opening I guess I guess Bassett yesterday was pretty good as well um as as far as that goes do you think it's better for this team to kind of have that we're we've been doubted we're not going to be out there kind of parading around what we're doing this year I do think the idea of expectations is a powerful one in anything really I mean like you, you go see a Marvel movie you have kind of an expectation to a certain extent that it's going to blow you away or be some spectacle because of what they've done for like a huge period of time. And then like some quote unquote bad ones come out and you think, ah, 
kind of sucked, right? So, so and I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people have that idea whenever they talk about a lot of things, right? Like you, your expectations for the Raptors are like pretty low right now because they are in a rebuilding phase. Your expectations for the Leafs, for example, might be a little bit higher because they have a guy who can win the Hart Trophy this year, in Austin Matthews. So I think the Blue Jays are kind of the same way in the same in the sense that. For the last couple of years, 2022 and 2023, the expectations after what was said in 2021 were really, really high. And they added big time free agents in all of these seasons. And then like they don't do that really this offseason. And now I, I, I can't tell you guys when we do Jays talk or we do these uh, evening shows and we kind of think, hey, where do you guys think the Blue Jays are going to finish this year? Almost unanimously, it is fourth or maybe fifth in the AL East, which seems like it doesn't seem crazy to say the fourth because of how the Rays have played, how the Yankees have played, how the Orioles have played. It's a competitive division, but it really does feel like Bo's words are true in the sense that the team has is being doubted a lot, right? So I think it could be good for them to maybe operate a little bit without the crushing weight of expectations. Now, do I still think they'll make the playoffs in a field that has three wild cards? Yes, but... You know, what remains to be seen is how far they'll go. I do think a a more interesting question from fans could be something like, what what would constitute a successful season, essentially, right? Because I I don't really think it's making the playoffs anymore, even when they're being doubted. I don't think it's making making the playoffs. It's got to be like, how far will you go? So for me, I think it's getting at least to the ALDS and winning a couple games in the ALDS than it, than it is even making the wildcard round. And again, in the Bo and Vladdy era, not winning a single game, essentially. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, th- I think the the expectations for, for them internally, at least the past couple of years, have definitely been way past just kind of getting into that wildcard round and being bounced in, in the first round has totally got to reinforce that for them wanting and almost feeling like they, they need to go further. And I think kind of the attitude that that I can feel, at least from my my apartment, you know, thousands of miles away has, has kind of reinforced that. Absolutely. So one thing that that I'm also kind of kind of in the same vein as as far as like kind of communication and internal clubhouse goes is is with the the shift in not necessarily offensive philosophy, but offensive uh, flow of information with Don Mattingly taking over as the the offensive coordinator. I'm curious what your thoughts are on um, them kind of trying to streamline that a little bit and having a a lead guy who's in charge of everything where it sounds like last year they kind of had the different areas of of hitting coaches trying to bring it all to the hitters. I did find it really interesting, mainly because I'd spent like the better part of the last couple of years telling people, oh, there's no such thing as an offensive coordinator in baseball. And, and now now they have one. Like there's literally an offensive coordinator, which is pretty funny. I, I actually find it, it's funny because I agree with you that they sh- they've streamlined the process, but they've also added like four coaches. Like they've added a whole bunch of coaches. Like Matt Haig is now a hitting coach and people were clamoring from for that after the Buffalo bunch from last year like almost all got called up and they all were pretty successful. So he is now part of the mix. Martinez is still a part of the mix. DeMarlo Hale is in there. And of course, I think I do think it's a good thing that you have someone like Don Mattingly who is in ch- in charge of the uh the hitting the offensive coordination, if only because he's a very prolific offensive player himself. And you, you would think that would have had a larger impact last year. It, it does beg the question, A, 
if that wasn't what he was doing last year, I have no idea what his job was last year. Look, I honest to God have not one clue what Don Manley was doing in 2023 uh, beyond failing to stop John Schneider from that, like that snafu when he went out to the mound and then just, like, the pitcher had to be removed from the game. So I, I don't know what he was doing, but, uh, and then also what is John Schneider's role? Like is his role just like, vibes coordinator essentially in the clubhouse because we also kind of know most managers in 2023 and, and you know generally speaking just over the last like five six years operate with this idea of analytics in mind and a lot of that has been a criticism of the blue jays front office but one thing i've heard from the front office and from all the various coaching staff members and certainly john schneider himself in the last month let's say since they've started speaking to the media again uh with the offseason drawing to a close is their talk they've used the word collaborative approach a bazillion times like so many times to the point where i have to think they're now intentionally going out of their way to emphasize the idea that it's not just being run off a spreadsheet it's not just like a card he's holding and saying, okay, well, when this outcome happens, this next outcome happens. It's something that they're actually using their eyeballs and baseball acumen with all the analytics to make their decision-making, which is like honestly how it should be. Yeah. But I mean, you go back to the how Barrios was taken out of the game. And I mean, it goes for certainly well beyond that. It's just, that's the most highly publicized moment of this whole, this whole movement i suppose but look i'm not here to crap on analytics it's just that you wanted to see a more collaborative approach and they're saying that's what you will see so you know talking about things you want to look out for in spring training i'm not sure how much you can put stock into that before the actual games start and have some real meaning in the regular season but that is something i actually am looking out for because they've put such a heavy emphasis on it i uh, i love your use of vibes coordinator i think you took the words right out of my mouth there um we're available you talk if, to them. if they're looking yeah. for a vibes coordinator we're available <laughs> happy to happy to lead the uh, okay blue jays uh cheer From the uh, but, <laughs> but uh but the the other thing you mentioned uh earlier about um maybe matt chapman making his way uh back to toronto obviously bellinger signs the other day and that begins a, a swirl of maybe the Blue Jays look to go a similar direction and maybe Chapman and the Blue Jays kiss and make up and, and all is forgiven. Do you see A, Matt Chapman making his way back to Toronto? B, would you want to see him back in Toronto? And, and C, what would that mean for particularly the rest of the millions of other infielders that the Blue Jays seemingly have all brought in over the last couple of months? Okay, so I've, I've always been a big supporter of Matt Chapman returning to Toronto, but at the right price. Like, I, I don't think anyone wanted to see Chapman as a Blue Jay for, like, $150 million. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because I, I think for players like Chapman, whose offensive production is already fine at best or, like, good at best, okay at best, then, you know, obviously you're, you're mostly signing him to be a defensive vacuum, and that's what he has been for the pretty much his entire career, which is obviously great to see, but it's just, if you're assigning someone like Matt Chapman to, I don't know, like a, a six year deal, a seven year deal at age, what I don't even know how old he is, 29, 30, like, like around there, then the defensive ability to move around with the kind of prowess he has, and that's kind of stuff that goes first. So that, I think that's why I wasn't really a huge fan of signing him to such huge term with such large dollar figures at his age because if you were signing him at age like 24 it's a lot different than him signing him at age 30 obviously right so 
I uh, that was why I wasn't a big supporter of bringing him back for that term and price. But if he's if he is to your point, Jory, uh, willing to come back on a Bellinger like deal, and he's actually because he's older than Bellinger, you'd think he would get slightly less money than Bellinger. But you know, Bellinger signed for three years, eighty million. He had the opt out after each of the first two years. So you got to think if the Blue Jays were to give him, let's say a similar deal, let's say a three year deal where he's getting $60 million, but it's very heavily front-loaded. He's getting like $30 million a year, in, like in 2024, and is an opt-out after 2024, and he has an even halfway offensive, decently offensive year then. You got to think he will also opt-out because he also wants a teensy bit more term. If that was the kind of deal they were open to bringing it back on, I'm totally fine with that. It would be, to your point, though, Jury, that you would have to trade or DFA someone just just to clear up a, a spot. You know, it's not going to be IKF because, uh, well, you didn't sign him, right? <laughs> you, you want him to play for your club while he's being paid all this money. So it would at least push IKF to a super utility role, which I think is where he's best suited anyway. So that would be a positive. It would probably mean you'd have to let go because you're not letting go of David Schneider. So you'd have to let go of one of Espinal or Biggio. And I think for me, Biggio did more. If you're just talking about what have you done for me lately, Biggio did more last year than Espinal has. And the problem is that Espinal's position that he plays as like a you know backup role beyond second base is largely shortstop, and IKF can do that. So it kind of makes it a little redundant to have all of IKF, Biggio, Espinal, Schneider, and Chapman. So one of those guys got to go, and if I'm picking unfortunately it will be Espinal because I've really enjoyed watching him play, but uh, it does feel like just there's not enough room. Like you're saying, Jory for everyone. If if that were to happen, honestly, when you were asking the question, I thought you were about to say he's re-signed. It's happened while we were talking. And I was like, Oh my God, that's crazy. That would would, be great for us. If that happened live on the show. (laughs) Um, Even right now though, there, there is kind of already a roster crunch with, with all the players that you just mentioned and Eduardo Escobar. I mean, obviously it's, it's a little, how, you know, you you can kind of debate how much the the twenty fifth, twenty sixth guy is really going to impact your your team over the course of a season. Um, but kind of for you looking at it between you know, like it, it already seems like there's there's maybe one of those guys that's going to get cut, maybe two between Clement, Espinal. I I, I probably wouldn't include Bijo Schneider in that group, but but even with Escobar in the mix there, what do you kind of make of of that group right now as far as who will actually be on this team come opening day? I do think David Schneider will be on the team opening day. I really do. If only because one thing I was really impressed with him uh, was a couple days ago when he was in left field. And he hasn't played a lot of left field in the majors. He has played a a chunk of left field in the minors. So it it was just interesting to see what he would look like at left in in a a semi-majors game, uh, at least to start. And, you know, he had the diving grab. And I thought that was really cool, not only because diving grabs are cool, but also because it was great to see him. He tracked the ball well. He took a great route to the ball. Uh, He, like, if if he had left his feet and did not make that grab, that ball was going all the way to the wall. Probably a run scores there because there was a base runner on. So, that he was confident enough to do that and and did all the right things before he actually left his feet made me confident in thinking, okay, you know what? If he can do that a couple more times throughout the spring and not only impress certainly like me or you guys or or the fans or even the front office and his teammates and so on, then if he does it a couple more times, maybe there's a route for him not only to break camp with this team, but maybe even maybe there's a configuration of the outfield that doesn't look like 
Kiermaier in center, Varsho in left, Springer in right, because that's what we're we're expecting we're going to see after last year. Maybe Kiermaier is the fourth outfielder because he's a little older, right? Maybe it's Schneider in left, Varsho in center, Springer in right, right? And then maybe you you bring in Kiermaier on some days. He's a late-inning defensive replacement, for example, depending on who's out there. So I thought that was really interesting. I would be kind of surprised. I don't know how you guys feel about this. If Eduardo Escobar made the roster, I mean – I, I think he did start the season last year with the Mets. Was he like the opening day third baseman for the Mets? And then he got like he got sent down or whatever. And and then now he's not with the organization at all anymore, obviously. It does somewhat feel like the signing of Escobar and Vogelbach were just like minor league depth signings. But I, I mean at this point, if 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 we think some of these prospects are gonna develop and like if if uh, Alan Roden plays as well as he does and he ends up starting the year in Buffalo, like some people think he can, then I mean, like, is there a, are there a lot of roles if that happens for other play, uh, other uh, positions on the roster? Are there a lot of roles for Vogelbach and Escobar? I'm not really sure, right? So I don't think they break break camp with the roster. I think it might just be like warm bodies to help out with in the spring without like exhausting your prospects, but. Uh, yeah, I, like if if the team starts opening day with all of Biggio, Schneider, and uh, Espinal, it probably means they have not re-signed Matt Chapman, but I would be surprised if all three of them were there if Chapman does return. Because the other question with Chapman is, if he's not signing with the Blue Jays and he wants to play baseball in 2024, who is he signing with? Like, it's, I guess, the Giants, I guess. Like, he's from the West Coast, so maybe he wants to sign on the West Coast. Like, the Angels, I guess, the Mariners, but... The Mariners, they already traded away Eugenio Suarez. So would it make a lot of sense to like trade away a guy like that and then give Chapman a whole bunch of cash? Probably not. So, I mean, weirder things have happened. It's just the Blue Jays seem like the most logical landing spot for him at this point. Yeah, no, the Chapman market definitely not as robust as as surely was projected. Uh, I do think it's interesting, though. You mentioned Escobar and Vogelbach not making the, the team. We've heard some stuff from the likes of Shai Davidi about Escobar potentially having assurances. So I think that's where a lot of the the concerns have kind of been that you've got this roster crunch and you're looking at maybe a guy like Espinal maybe just gets cut because it didn't even sound like there was much of a trade market for him. So that that crunch overall seems like it's going to be something to, to kind of watch. But I would ask in a similar vein and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but any other positional battles or anyone else that you really are keeping an eye on, even in the prospect realm, as spring continues to roll along? Well, first of all, if Escobar has gotten assurances, then it's got to be the same conversation that we just had about Chapman, right? Like if 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 he is there, then the most likely candidate to, to be gone is Espinal. It almost feels like Escobar's presence itself is just a, some kind of guarantee against having to only have IKF as your third baseman, mainly because Aralvis Martinez, who I guess only now it seems in the last couple of months is being viewed as a potential third base replacement. Cause I kind of thought he'd play at second, but now you have like a million guys who can play second base and not a lot, not enough people, not named Matt Chapman who can play third. So that's, that's going to be a really interesting dilemma. I just, I'm not really sure. Like, I think I'd rather just have Matt Chapman if if the if it's Escobar or uh, if it's IKF as your replacements. But I do think that's really interesting. Uh, but if Shai said their assurances, I I totally believe him. So maybe he's he's the likeliest candidate. Uh, but uh, beyond the the second and third base battles, we did talk about the outfield. David Schneider's role will always intrigue me, and and the construction perhaps 
of the bullpen is what's going to maybe maybe less construction, just like the ordering of the bullpen, I suppose, is what's going to be really curious to me because I think it's the first time in what a couple of years where you kind of feel like you know if they if they're a World Series contending team, they will just make changes at the at the deadline. All teams who are contenders for the World Series do that by the trade deadline. So that's one thing. But going into the season, it feels like it's the first time in two or three years where you don't feel like it's a glaring weakness of the team. It feels like it's a relatively complete unit. And yes, we did see some rust needing to be shaken off by a lot of the relievers in the last couple of days. But at the same time, when you when your bullpen is able to roll out Chad Green after a full off season. Cause I mean, this guy didn't throw a pitch until September 1st last year, and he was still a pretty intriguing weapon down the stretch. So a full off season for him and a full spring for him has got to only be a good thing. Uh, Jordan Romano, of course, and Tim Meza and Yenesis Cabrera and Jimmy Garcia and all these different guys. Uh, I, I am really excited to see how their presence might be reordered by a couple of maybe multi-inning relievers like Trevor Richard just kind of so kind of sort of in that group uh, in the sense that he can be asked to go a little bit longer and has been a lot last year uh Yariel Rodriguez what will his presence mean for this bullpen because I think we think he could be a starter but at the same time uh would he be a long man in the bullpen to start the year the guy got a five-year deal so he's gonna pitch he's like somewhere for this team at some point and, you know, those are the kind of questions that, that really intrigue me from the, from the perspective of the bullpen, because again, they'll, they'll make additions. I'm almost certain of it, but they lost Jordan Hicks, but are basically getting back another guy in a very different role, like Rodriguez. And then you add in Bowden Francis or Mitch White or whoever you want as another potential long man slash sixth rotation guy in a start if someone goes down. So I think that's probably one of the more interesting battles for me because there probably are maybe like two spots in the bullpen open, maybe one spot and a question mark over another one uh, at the end of the bullpen beyond the guys we already named. So it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. There probably are a couple spots to be won by maybe a, a minor league reliever or a guy we haven't spoken about in a while. Yeah. I, I think it's super interesting. I mean, the, the, the six or so relievers you named there and then kind of the, the Pearson pop uh, even like Hag and Danner kind of in that group. Sure. Um, you know, obviously not, not trying to, to kind of overreact to spring, the spring training games. I, I would call Nate Pearson's outing, um, a red flag at, at least a little bit. Um, wh where are you at with him? I think he's one of the more intriguing, like kind of underrated storylines of the spring as to where, you know, he's coming in, working on a new splitter and it looked disgusting when, when he threw it the, the one time yeah. the other day, but uh, where, where are you at on him? Because I, I think he could be like a, a really high leverage reliever like we kind of saw towards the beginning of last season, or he could be a guy where it, it almost feels like this this might be his last chance. I do get the sense that this is probably his last chance. It just I you, you don't want it to be like so many other players in, across different sports and teams and so on where his best years come in a different team's uniform. But at the same time, they have given a lot of time and investment uh, towards his his development and it hasn't why he gotten there so i i kind of feel like this is it feels like it's the last straw for pearson i agree with you the split finger looked nasty it looked really really cool so if he can harness that somehow and use it more consistently in an actual game hey i'm all here for it, it almost feels like 
the P Walker and the pitching staff saw what Gosman can do with a splitter and were like, you get a splitter and you get a splitter and you, you get one. And everyone was adding new pitches. We, we saw R.A. Dickey was in camps. I don't know if that meant like knuckleballs will be thrown. It's just, it was really interesting to see how their approach was when it came to pitch development. But I, I with Nate Pearson, you know, he has the nasty velo. This guy can touch triple digits and you want that in your bullpen somewhere. It's just, the control has always been some of it an issue. You want the fastball even to move a little bit, and it hasn't always. So I agree with you, like in the sense that you know what we were talking about off the beginning, I think still holds true in that it's spring training. They're knocking off the rust. He was also debuting a new pitch, so you know you don't want to read too much into it. But I mean, there are a lot of other pitchers that did not get rocked essentially, and he kind of did. So if he goes out, let's say another two or three times between now and like a month from now, because the season starts in about a month. And he's continually getting rocked, even when he's gotten back into the rhythm and routine of things, then I'll be a little bit more worried. But I do agree with you that the runway for Nate Pearson is not as long as it once was. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see. Like, it, hopefully he can, I we talked a little bit about it last week, like as, as far as what the splitter might be able to do for him. And obviously it's all going to, kind of we we decided that it's just going to kind of come down to fastball command in the end no matter you know where he throws the splitter or, or what happens with it so um we'll see there but before we go though um we'll we'll get you today obviously Alec Mano making his debut not on TV unfortunately so we can't watch um but what are you looking for for him this spring obviously you know he's he said said and done all the right things up to this point as far as setting himself up for a bounce back season um, now he's just kind of kind of go go out on the mound and, and do it. What what does that in, entail for you? So I guess it's two things. Uh I, I don't really pay attention too much to his velo, unless the velo is like really down, right? Unless he's like throwing like an 85 mile an hour fastball and you're like, oh, like <laughs> I don't know. It's, I don't know what happened there. But if it's if it's a normal fastball, then I think I'm gonna say, all right, we're we're okay. Uh but I more than anything, I want to see what that slider looks like. The slider was his his pitch, right? Like that was the pitch. That was his put away pitch. It was his bread and butter and it was filthy. It was so nasty two years ago when he was a Cy Young uh, finalist, Cy Young candidate. So I'm thinking to myself, what's the shape of the slider look like? How is it breaking? How often is he throwing it? Where in the count is he throwing it? Is he just able to repeat the motion of throwing a slider? Because last year he couldn't, like the knee wasn't getting quite a, quite down as far for, on the delivery and, and, you know, maybe a part of it was weight gain. Maybe a part of it was mental. We'll, we'll never really know. Only he knows that, essentially. But we we also know that so far in spring, he he looks happier. He looks like he is uh, in, in much better spirits. He's obviously lost a bunch of weight. That can only help. So, yeah, I think that the, the slider and his use of it is going to be what I'm mostly looking to. Well, we're not going to see it, like you said. But until we, uh, we hear from it, from the various beat writers down there. Uh, and also... Yeah, the, the velo is like a secondary thing. And I suppose a lesser extent, his body language. Because, you know, Alec Manoa is kind of guy, he like kind of like pulls his jersey a little bit and he like walks around the mound and he's like doing all these different things. What what does his routine look like, right? So if, if he can get back to even being like, what, 70% of what he was two years ago, you're already getting a way better pitcher than you got last year, right? So I feel like there's only, you can only really go up for Alcmano at this point. So that's where, that's what I'm looking out for. And I think he'll bounce back. I've long said that talent like that doesn't just evaporate, doesn't just go away. And we saw that happen with 
Jose Barrios last year. He had a pretty bad year before, and he was great last year. So I kind of hope for a, a similar bounce back for Alec Manoa because I think he's extremely talented, and you know he's he's doing all the right things so far. So we'll see how it uh, translates on game day. Yeah, I'm sure uh, Blue Jays fans will be will be shutting down baseball savant today as they kind of yes. keep keep track of uh, what what he's doing. But uh, but show, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us, and uh, we hope that you uh, have a great season. Yeah, thanks, man. Anytime, guys. All right, welcome back. That was Show Ali. Thanks again to him for coming on the pod. Really enjoyed that conversation. You can find him on Twitter slash X at SNS Ali. Uh, he is a producer and host at Sportsnet 590. And you will find him talking Jays all season long on the Blue Jays pregame show, Jays Talk, and a bunch of other shows. Jory, what did you think of the conversation? A ton of fun. Really interesting conversation we had as well about Bo Bichette and kind of the leadership role that show feels that he's going to be taking on. Because the Blue Jays, there's been a a lot of talk over the years about a little bit of a, a team with with uh without a rudder so to speak uh kind of floating a little aimlessly at times and if Bobichet wants to go out there and be the guy on this team uh I take no umbrage with that I'll tell you that much yeah it, it's really nice to see especially him coming into you know kind of his his fifth sixth year in the league here and being able to to take that on. So it, it'll be nice to see what that entails, if anything, if it actually make, makes much of a difference on the field. <laughs> um, before we go for the day, let's get into maybe some, some things that aren't going to impact the 2023 or sorry, the 2024 Blue Jays all that much on the field. Um, <laughs> some, you know, some, some spring training storylines through the first three games that we didn't quite get to with show. Um, it, it, it's interesting that the, you know, we, we had the conversation a couple episodes ago about the, uh, the Greg bird award for the guy who's going to come into spring camp and rake and ultimately probably not make the team. And, you know, I think we both ended up picking like some relevant names, like some guys who, you know, we did actually, not understand the assignment. We no, the, the, the assignment, assignment was going, Brian Servin <laughs> is going to come out and nearly hit for the cycle in his first five at-bats. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess there's your, uh, I guess there's your Tyler Heineman replacement. Listen, if he's going to rake like that in, in AAA or AA or wherever he ultimately finds a home, you know, I, I mean, that's good with me. No such thing as too much catching depth. The position, obviously, relative to other positions uh, in the field, perhaps more injury concerns. So that depth will be crucial. And if the Blue Jays have stumbled onto something, that to me is is nothing if not good. Uh, now, five at-bats into spring, you know, we just spent a significant amount of time talking about how this guy should not be DFA'd and this guy should not be your MVP favorite. But also, I mean... It's still nice to see. Look, I'll I'll say this. Obviously, Brian Servin is not going to win a job on the 2024 Blue Jays. However, the Toronto Blue Jays do have two catchers on the roster who are very good, but one of them who has had a frequent injury history. So if you can have a rely, like I, I thought Tyler Hanman was really solid last year. But if Brian Servin can come in and hit a couple bombs and be a above average defensive catcher, then 
great you know like it 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 it's not what you want but if he can come in and at least give you like 60% of Danny Jansen if Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk gets hurt then that that's that's a good find for the team yeah i mean even even 40% of Danny Jansen in some respects it's your it's your third string catcher uh battle going on right now and Servin has jumped out to this early lead and it's not really a position battle that's going to get much if any attention realistically but still it's relevant because i think every single year of the vladdy and Bo era at least since 2020 or 2021 that i can think of they've had to dip into their catching depth to bring up these extra guys you know when Jansen gets hurt or Kirk gets hurt because you don't stay healthy when you're a catcher. You take a ball off the hand, you take a, a foul ball off the dome. You know, it's, it's a position that demands additional bodies. And so if the Jays have stumbled onto a guy that looks like they can fill in in a pinch, that's nice. Yes. And that it concludes our Brian Sermon conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, as as far as like uh, just a couple other like really quick quick hits as far as guys who have looked good. Um, Will Robertson, uh, I thought you know he's he has a uh, a hit, he has a triple. He threw out a guy in in the game yesterday. Um, you know, I, I I think he's kind of one of the the interesting name to, names to watch is like a, a lefty bat who is on the older side for prospects. I, I assume he'll start the year at AAA and, you know, maybe, maybe he, he's, you know, got a lot of pop. So is he, is he a guy that we could see eventually? I know Alan Roden kind of gets all the headlines and then he obviously looked good. He had that double. He had kind of had a swing change as, as did Varsho. Um, but, you know, as far as like, if, if we're going to see a left-handed hitting prospect outfielder join the team this year, I wonder if Robertson might be the guy instead of Roden. Yeah, well, I know Robertson is your guy. Uh, I remain on the Allen Roden train, although that that batting stance change was very substantial. I, I recall seeing a post on Twitter about it, and he's gone from this really high kind of, I mean, for audio listeners, I'm sorry, but uh, for our visual listeners, welcome to, the, welcome to the podcast. He's got these really high arms last year, and this year he's really toned it down. It's it's almost reminiscent of kind of Varsho's uh, batting stance. I don't know if that's just the first name that comes to mind, but it's just a lot more quiet. It's clearly been an area of focus, but what's interesting is that he was, I mean, arguably their best hitting outfield prospect in the entire organization. So making a dramatic change like that, I, I, I'm sure there's justification behind it. I'm sure there's reason why it's been done, but I would be very curious to hear what the, the broader story is there. All right. I have a very very in-depth take obviously this is why all our listeners come to the pod you know yes. what's you know what's going to be uh, kind of interesting i think is the starting outfield for the buffalo bisons this year oh my god what are we doing here man <laughs> i mean you're gonna have you're gonna have cam eden you yeah. got rafael lantugo who probably still be in the mix and then you got a, a robertson a rodin maybe they start robin at rodin at double a because of that but um but yeah, not a lot of playing time to go around on, on the Buffalo Bisons, especially with the likes of Addison Barger, who, of course, has seen quite a bit of outfield time. Uh, Nathan Lucas, does he start the year with the big league club or is he down in AAA? Um, Ernie Clement, who played some outfield for them last year. Um, Stuart Barroa's there. 
just just it's something to watch just as far as like where people start and stuff but yeah because there 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 is like a decent amount of guys that can do it but obviously you want to get the bulk of your bats to the likes of robertson and roden yeah uh you you mentioned him there for a second uh addison barger uh that is a big dude i was kind of don't call it leery but i was always i've always kind of been a little bit i don't know if this guy's gonna have the makeup to play the hot corner that guy is yoked yeah um I, it was interesting because he was a, a shortstop for the longest time and then last year they well, kind that's of moved the him thing, off there right? right yeah um yeah big dude there's a, he's there's <laughs> so, some of the the blue jays guys they're like they're they're built pretty well i you know i can't say that anything you know barger's done this spring is you know obviously like last spring where he was making the case to make the team as as that extra bat but you know it he'll be a guy who i'm curious to see where his playing time comes in triple a this year because of yeah, obviously he, they got the loaded outfield well, right so so is he going to be playing at third base or or what's going to be the deal there well it, it seems like he's your heir apparent at the hog corner but i mean now does chapman change things as we kind of discussed earlier like is he a trade piece now because of ikf and his positional versatility and you've got him locked up a couple years and if you're trying to improve a different position or maybe you're trying to find a third baseman that's a little more advanced in their development curve he's another guy him less so martinez but again he's just part of that big glut of infield prospects and they have about a million of them yeah yeah and you know i i'm I'm actually kind of curious because I think maybe he long-term is more of an outfielder than an infielder. So we'll, we'll kind of see what happens there. Um, we we kind of have a list here of like some, some, some green flags and some red flags that we've seen from, from spring training start. And I, I don't want to get into each of them. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to run through some of these guys here and give you a point about them and their spring outings. And you are going to give me a quick take on it. All right, yeah. so let's start. Chad Dallas, he got the opening day start. Uh, one inning, no base runners, two Ks. Yeah, I mean, Ricky Tiedemann, watch out. Your crown is... Uh... No, in seriousness, though, I mean, I'm really happy with how Chad Dallas pitched, and it's nice to have an additional pitching prospect in a system not named Ricky Tiedemann. Uh, Dallas, probably not going to be a substantial piece this year. I'd be pretty surprising if he was, but again, no such thing as a pitching prospect, but he looks like a nice pitching prospect yeah yeah he'll be again like pitching depth can't have too much and he's probably a guy who's like tracking to like if, if the blue jays rotation if the blue jays were like a last place or like kind of bottom of the division team i and didn't have kind of the rotation strength he'd probably be a a guy tracking to almost make his debut this year all right, next on the list, um, I don't know whether to call this a green flag or a red flag. I'm going to put it in green flag, but Mitch White, who threw one inning, gave up a hit, two runs, um, went up against you know Juan Soto, Aaron Judge, and hit 97.8, according to Baseball Savant. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to plug my ears. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to go, la, 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 la. He threw 98, and I am going to say nothing else because Mitch White threw hard. I don't know what he did this offseason. Had a nice uh, balanced breakfast. And uh, maybe that day he just woke up on the wrong side or the right side of the bed. 
And uh, he threw 98 miles an hour. And you can't teach that. Well, I mean, apparently you can't teach that. He was not throwing 98 miles an hour last <laughs> year. But I'm happy to see that, I guess. But um, uh, your discretion is advised as far as if that actually translates into anything more meaningful than that. Yeah, we'll see. Again, like it's it's obviously spring training. Cannot like really take away anything. But, you know, the, the velo is interesting, especially for his first outing. So um connor cook i have him as a green flag one inning pitch two k's um we see him at the major league level this year i i say almost certainly i would expect so i would expect him to not only be at the major league level i would expect him to also represent the toronto raptors based on what we saw last year <laughs> or excuse me saw in that video uh about him being uh, a potential dunk contest winner but uh i mean similar thing as as dallas as far as a young guy not quite as young but uh, just pitching depth, and you need pitching depth, and he looks like a guy that could provide that. You know, it's funny. I didn't immediately recognize him, and uh, he doesn't pitch the same way, but his his delivery, there there was enough kind of like my brain. I thought it was Adam Simber throwing because he's got that kind of – he turns backwards, and he has this kind of bent knee, yeah. and I was kind of like initially I was like, oh, who is this? Oh, it's Cuck. And so I don't have too much – to really kind of comment on on him necessarily, but I would expect him to be a guy that factors in at some point, maybe during the summer. Yeah, he had you know, like a thirty five, like plus thirty percent K rate in the minor leagues. Um, kind of intriguing, like Zips projections. They have him twenty six point one uh, projected K rate, and that's of course major league level, right? And that Zips projection that's over forty eight innings, three point nine four ERA. It's it's projectable. It is. And I mean, if you we'll, we'll kind of maybe touch on it quickly in a bit. But if you want to look at compare him to somebody like Trevor Richards, who is also like one of the, the better strikeout relievers in baseball, surprisingly, um, Zips has him projected 4.21 ERA, 30.6% uh, K rate. Yeah, I mean, to me, like Cook, if he can be a guy, like you take it. And if yeah. he's going to be someone that supplants someone like Trevor Richards, so be it. I mean, we, we saw it last year, right? Like the opening day bullpen last year had Zach Pop, Nate Pearson, uh, Anthony Bass. I sure hope we won't get another Anthony Bass situation this year. And um, yeah, I think that is probably most of the green flags. I mean, like Kikuchi and Bassett, they were clean. Uh, Romano and Green were clean. <laughs> um Mesa Mesa Kate a couple guys um like any anything like I, I just think like that's a good sign for those guys yeah my biggest bullpen takeaway is that Tim Mesa needs to learn how to draft a fantasy football team better that is my I, he biggest took, he takeaway took, he took Tyreek Hill in the first round how yeah, are you gonna how are you gonna draft the best and receiver then, and then have the worst team <laughs> I think Listen, Keegan detail he, he ended up with he had like Kirk Cousins uh Dobbins from the Ravens like all these dudes that got hurt so yeah I think that's probably where things went wrong well listen I'm just saying if he needs any hints he's got my, well he doesn't have my number but my number is available Tim if you if you're listening <laughs> oh my god um <laughs> he, I guess he did good as a bat boy boy I thought that was pretty fun you know, that like was that, that was, was like three innings he the the four and ten jersey they yeah, need to make yeah. they need to make that a giveaway that would be a good giveaway. That'd be so that would funny. be a fun one. That would be fun. 
Um, okay, uh, some red flags we have written down here. We already touched on Escobar and Pearson with show. Um, again, like it's spring training, first outing, pitchers figuring stuff out. They're, you know, might just be throwing fastballs. They might just be doing two pitch, like whatever, right? So, however much you want to take away from it, um, Bowden Francis, like the results weren't great where he gave up a couple runs a few hits struck out a couple guys um i saw that his stuff plus was really good okay um so like sure again right like it's spring training it's two innings it's less than 30 pitches so again like stuff plus doesn't come on online that quick either so you again take that with a grain of salt but i i think it's a good sign that like the process stuff was there yeah i think Baden francis is a guy that's going to be quietly integral to this team as far as providing bulk innings or potentially being a, a back of the rotation guy at points so would expect him to be a, a focal point this spring overall and not the start necessarily you want but if the the process is there it's hard to argue he's going to regress from last year that much is certain i mean a sub 200 babbit that is primed for regression but uh still think that he's a guy that would like to see succeed and, and should be a factor. Yep. And Yasper Zulueta um, didn't make it out of the inning, gave up six runs. Um, yeah. We talked about it being Pier- Pearson's last chance. Where where do you think they are? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like Zulueta's last chance because he's still like a relatively young guy. But like he has to break into the majors eventually, right? Yeah, he's he's pretty rapidly approaching org piece territory, which is not what you want from a guy you thought was going to be maybe a rotation piece, maybe eighteen months ago. So disappointing, obviously, for him to continue to struggle last year. At times, was an immense struggle for him. There's still upside. There was talk about him having some real life on his fastball. He had one of the better breaking balls in the organization for a period there. There's clearly tools, and and you know maybe he is just a reliever at this point. It doesn't sound like he's going to be stretched out in any meaningful capacity. Maybe he ends up some kind of multi-inning reliever type. But as far as his timeline on being a prospect, he's he's entering of bit of a, a, a sketchy area shall we call it as far as the validity of his prospect status yeah i mean we'll see we'll see where it goes he, he could be a guy i mean obviously one spring outing we'll we'll see um kind of where it goes from here but uh still a guy that i think could be could play into the, the jays bullpen eventually here all right. Well, with that, that will do it for us here today at the Bird's Eye View podcast. Make sure to drop a follow review if you're listening on audio. Um, subscribe and like if you're watching on YouTube. Thanks again to Show Ali for joining. Once again, you can follow him on Twitter or X at SNS Ali. And you can follow us. The pod is at BEV underscore pod. Jory is at J Negan Schechter. And I am at Warden underscore Zach. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.